Welcome to Way Family Church. You're listening to our sermon podcast. Way Family Church is a new church plant in Tucson, Arizona. We welcome you to join us every Sunday morning at 10.30 for worship, the Word, and fellowship. If you would like more information, visit us online at wayfamily.church. God bless you. It's good to see you here. It's always good to be together in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. What a beautiful privilege that it is to come together and really dig into His Word. It is a blessing to be able to have His Word. You think about that. Just to be able to have the insight from the God who created all things, it is tremendous. And without Him, everything is meaningless. And that's the series that we're in today. Is We're going to continue in Ecclesiastes, where we've seen much of the wisdom of the ancient King Solomon. Uh, and so today we will continue. But before we do that, I would like to open up with a word of prayer. Bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for the beautiful privilege that it is to be here in your name. We thank you, Father, for just the reality that we have the opportunity to gather in a public place like this. And Lord, as we're here, we ask that you would speak to us today, that you would stir our hearts, Lord Jesus, towards you, that we would recognize, Father, your wisdom, and that we would apply it to our lives. May your words not be void in our hearts, Lord Jesus, but that they would bear much fruit. We ask this in your name. Amen. Well, I'll probably be a little bit controversial today, we'll see, because you've heard it said that the pulpit's no place for politics. How many of you guys have heard that? Yeah? Yeah, sometimes, well, I'm going to talk about politics today. <laughs> in fact, in fact, um, I was told, too, uh, as I was being trained, right, as a pastor, you know, don't bring politics into the sermons. Don't, don't get political when you speak because you don't want to abuse the position or that office that the Lord has entrusted you with to push any kind of agenda, right? Politics seem to be a very sketchy thing, a very tender thing, if you ask me. They seem to be the kind of um, topic, it's the, the kind of topic that really can cause tremendous division. Do you agree with that? Have you experienced that? Because more often than not, political conversations, presentations, you know, disagreements or whatnot, they result in heartache. They result in real, real contention. And actually, they sometimes even result in physical aggression. This topic of politics, right, as you dive into it deeper, is one of those things that just gets people angry. And it causes people to side with some, and divide with others, right? And so that's why we don't bring it up because my job is not to tell you what I think about the political climate. My job is to tell you what the, the word of the Lord says. And the word of the Lord says that we ought to be united, not divided. In fact, let's look at what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. He says, I appeal to you brothers by the name of our Lord Jesus that all of you agree and that there would be no divisions among you, but that you would be united in the same mind and in the same judgment. I can assure you we will not agree politically. Maybe here and there, but we will agree here. And when it comes to the word of the Lord, this is where we are. This is what unites us. It is Jesus Christ and his gospel that unites us. It is not our political views. It's not our political preferences. And I can assure you, I can assure you that American politics are probably the best out there. And even that won't unite us. Even that 
does not have the power to bring us together as the Lord has called us to. As Christians, our source of unity is Christ. If we don't have Christ, we're going to be contending with one another. We're going to be opposing one another. We're going to have opinions that conflict with one another. And we're going to be so certain that we're right that we're willing to fight someone else on that. But Christ is who actually humbles us because he's a good representation of humility. He's a good representation of service. He's a good representation of sacrifice, in fact, which is why he alone has the power to bring us together, not apart. Our manual as believers, our text, our content source for insight, for instruction, for encouragement, conviction, and assurance is and always should be the word of the Lord right here. This is what we need to look at first and foremost. Not what so-and-so is saying, not what law and law is being pushed, but this, the word of the Lord. This is what matters. This is what um, really will establish us on a firm, firm foundation for, you probably knew this and you may be take this by surprise, but the word of the Lord cuts against both of our major political parties. Regardless of where you stand, this, my friends, cuts against both of them because no one can get it right according to this. No one actually can actually be perfect as the word of the Lord is. And so that's why we have to come to the word because it doesn't overpromise, it doesn't underdeliver, it does not lie, and it does not change. Now, if we step back and look at American political climate today, we don't know what's going on. Everything is just so unsteady, right? Unsteady. So this is very helpful. And so I would say that um, we can't say that about our political and judicial system even. Because, again, I think America has some of the best politics. I think America has some of the best um, judicial and executive branches that you'll find anywhere around the world. You know? And, and yet we struggle. Yet we struggle. So here's the, here's the thing. Today, I want to ask, what's the point then? What's the point of politics? What's the point of the judicial system or justice, really, if it's not really helping? You know, what's the point of all of it? What's the point of actually taking the time to consider what's going on around us if it's not going to be helpful? Now, remember that Ecclesiastics takes the stands or the perspective of life under the sun, meaning life without the Lord, life apart from he who has created us. And so if you consider the world just in its natural state, and if we trust in our politics and in our politicians, we're going to be disappointed, as many of us probably have already become. But when we cling to the Lord, things begin to turn it, uh, towards a better. To, there's a positive change because justice and politics here are failing us. And so again, what is the point? And you might even ask or wonder, does my vote even matter today? Does right and wrong even matter today, right? Does hard work matter? Do law and order matter? What's the point of all of this? And you may have more of these running through your head, but it seems that justice and politics are utterly meaningless in our world today. And here's what I think the main idea is for today's section of, or portion of scripture. And I think is this, the meaninglessness of justice and politics in this fallen world cries out for a savior. It does. And I think it's a beautiful thing if we step back 
and consider, wow, we're just not satisfied with this. This cries out for help. We're always and constantly looking for someone to help, someone to step up and make a positive difference. Folks, it's crying out for a savior. That's really what we're needing. And so the title of today's sermon is Justice and Politics Are Meaningless Without Jesus. And so there he goes, King Solomon, he goes to that forbidden topic. And now we have to talk about it because Solomon and the word of the Lord talks about it. But don't worry, we're going to see it according to his word and his wisdom, not ours. And so thus far, we've seen in Ecclesiastes that Solomon has been making the point that everything apart from the Lord is meaningless. So let's take a look at this particular subject here. Let's go to Ecclesiastes chapter 6. We're going to read from verse 16 all the way through chapter 4, verse 3. And it says this, Moreover, I saw under the sun... That in the place of justice, even there was wickedness. And in the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked for there is a time for every matter and for every work. I said in my heart with regard to the children of man, that God is testing them, that they may see that they themselves are but beasts. For what happens to children of man and what happens to the beasts is the same as one dies so dies the other. They all have the same breath, and man has no advantage over the beast, for all is vanity. All go to one place. All are from the dust, and to the dust all return. Who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward and the spirit of the beasts go downward into the earth? So I saw that there's nothing better, that a man should rejoice in his work, for that is his lot. Who can bring him to see what will be after him? Again, I saw all the oppressions that are done under the sun, and behold, the tears of the oppressed. And they had no one to comfort them. On the side of their oppressors, there was power, and there was no one to comfort them. And I thought the dead who are already dead, more fortunate than the living who are still alive. But better than both is he who has not yet been and has not yet seen evil deeds that are done under the sun. Wow. Amazing. Let's, let's dive in a little bit deeper in this because, again, there's just a meaningless to life apart from the Lord. And I hope that you caught this, that he's describing this particular subject in the perspective of under the sun, of away from God. And I think his aim is clearly to point out the reality that our attempts to live this life separated from the Lord is foolishness because God is the only one who, could, who actually brings true meaning to fulfillment, to purpose in everything that is life. And now Solomon continues to advance this here in deep thought because everything that he's writing here really, really requires for us to stop and think deeply through, right? And so he continues in this, and uh, he, he's already talked about the issues of work, pleasure, wisdom. He's already even talked about time. And in that same vein of thought, now he brings up the forbidden church topic, which is politics and justice. And this topic is as much importance because the scriptures do speak of it. So for the pursuit of justice in politics, let's dive into it because did you know that justice and politics are actually a noble pursuit. It's actually 
a good thing that we have a judicial system and that we have politics. It, it's, it's supposed to be at least because they in themselves, the idea of them are good. In fact, let's define what justice is just so that we're reminded because it seems that we're not quite clear anymore, right? But the definition of justice is this, the virtue which consists in giving to everyone what is his due according to law and uh, uh, principles. That, that's good. Right? That's justice. That's what we want. That's what we need here in our society. And politics are the means of achieving that, actually. And so it's supposed to be, or it is, let's say, the ethical regulation and government of a nation or state for the preservation of its safety, peace, and prosperity. That's what politics are supposed to do. So if we consider these words by their definitions, I think that we would agree that these are good things. These are noble pursuits, right? <clears throat> and, and I think that many, we could argue, seek office in these places for an opportunity to make a difference, a positive difference in our society. I hope, I personally hope, that everyone who runs for office in the political world does it for a noble reason and not necessarily to gain power. However, even that's questionable in our day to day. Now, last Wednesday, I don't know if you did, but I tuned in briefly to the second presidential uh, candidate debate. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Yeah? <laughs> it was a mess. That was my personal opinion. I'm thinking, wow, how? Like, what, what have we come to? You know, what, what is, the, I don't even know what they're trying to communicate here, but there was something that was clear, is that every single one of those candidates is passionate about a change. Every single one of those candidates realizes that there's a problem in our society, and every single one of those candidates feels that they can help. Now, if that's their heart, and if that's their intent, that is a noble task that they seek. If that's their heart to make a positive change and difference in our land, that is a very, very honorable thing that they pursue. But the means by it, the political means by it, is a mess. It cries out for a savior. Someone help us, please. Because even the best of the leaders of the world are incapable of these things. And so that was my takeaway from that debate. I don't know what else happened because it was a mess, right? Now, this cursed world, if this is all there is, then all of their actions, even as noble as they may be, all of our actions for that matter, all of our pursuits to promote the common good are futile and meaningless because... And I think that this is the first point that Solomon makes, that justice is meaningless under the sun because justice comes from the Lord. And so if we take the Lord out of that, then all of that becomes meaningless because there's evil and there's corruption in places where there should be justice. You think about that. Where we should find justice, there's corruption. There's evil. Look at verse 16, Solomon says, Moreover, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness. And in the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. So I think that this passage actually starts in verse 15, the prior verse. We hit on it briefly last week, but I'll read it again because it sets, I think that this phrase sets up Solomon to think about justice and, and the issue of politics here. Verse 15 says, that which is already has been, that which is to be already has been, and God seeks what has been driven away. 
That, that, that phrase right there, the more literal translation would read, God seeks those who are persecuted. In other words, God is interested in those who are being oppressed. God sees that. God sees the least of these. God sees the injustice in the world, and he's interested in pursuing those who are being persecuted. That's a testament to the love of Jesus Christ. And so I think that he, uh, God, you know, is a God of justice, and because he's a God of justice, he will hold persecutors accountable. And as Solomon has stated, there is a time for everything, including justice, but true justice cannot be found in our courthouses. That's what Solomon is saying, because too often the innocent are found guilty, and too often... Uh, the deciding factor whether or not someone is innocent or guilty is not necessarily the truth, but whether or not they have the cash, right? And we think that sometimes America is beyond bribery. We think that we're beyond the place where we can bribe our judges or our court systems. Well, we've only formalized it as what we've done. That's all we've done. Because if you have the capital to be able to hire a good attorney, it doesn't matter what's happened, he will find a way to win. See how that works? And so there is corruption in everything around us under the sun. And so we won't find true and pure justice under the sun. Again, big bucks get you big attorneys and big shot attorneys get you best, better results regardless of right and wrong. That's not the primary thing here or focus. It's not right or wrong, but rather whether or not a person can gain something from you. And that, my friends, is quote unquote justice here on earth here under the sun. However, God is good. Amen? That's not how God works. You cannot bribe God at all. He knows everything. He is omniscient, and he is amazing, and he is pure, and he is holy. Verse 17 says this, I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time for every matter and for every good work. Nothing will escape God. Solomon trusts that God can and will do what we cannot as people. He will set things straight, and nothing will get away from his divine judgment as much as it escapes man's judgment, because there are so many things that will escape man's judgment, right? And there are so many things that we think we can get away with, and sometimes we feel like we've gotten away with it, but I guarantee you this 100% or your money back, God knows exactly what has happened in your life. You are not running from him. You are not hiding anything from him. And in due time, for there is a time for everything, he will judge justly. You know, that is the Lord. And that's what Solomon is speaking to. And I'll give you an example of how we're sometimes able to escape judgment. Not just that you get away with it because you were slick or whatnot, but sometimes death actually prevents justice. I'll give you an example. Remember the, the, plane hi, the airplane hijackers at nine, in 9-11? They hijacked planes and they flew them into the World Trade Center in New York City. Now, it would have been just for those hijackers to have been taken to the courtrooms of the United States of America. It would have been just for them to have been dealt with and to have experienced the full extent of the law against what they did. For what they did was atrocious, it was evil. And it would have been just for them to do that, but they did not do that. They escaped that process. They, they met the same peril that those innocent bystanders who were in the airplane also met, and that was death. Their life was cut short, and so according to American law, there was no justice there. 
Do you see that? Sometimes man does not even have the ability to be just in, in situations like this. But I guarantee you this, that as soon as they hit those buildings, those plain hijackers found themselves face to face with God face to face with him in the courtrooms of heaven, realizing that no, you will not get away with this because nothing, nothing is beyond the Lord. Nothing will be, um, you, you can't get away from him. He is so omniscient and so present. And so in his appointed time, God will judge the righteous and the wicked, regardless of who you are, regardless of what you think of yourself, you will meet the judge face to face one day. Now, the next point that Solomon makes is in regards to this idea of justice under the sun is this one. And I think this is an interesting one. We are all like animals under the sun. Interesting. We're all like animals. We're all like beasts under the sun is what he says. Now, Solomon says that we're like the beasts of the earth, that we too ultimately die. And that's what he says. That's his point. And why do we die, though? Have you considered why we as humans face death? Well, Romans tells us in chapter 3:23 that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every single one has experienced and we have been born with a sinful nature because it has tainted the world since the fall of creation. Romans 6.23 then says, for the wages of sin is death. So therefore, because we are sinners, because we are tainted by sin, we deserve death. That is the wage. That is what we have earned. And so then Solomon goes on to say, say in verse 18, I said in my heart with regard to the children of man that God is testing them, that they may see that they themselves are but beasts. Man is like beasts. Interesting. For what happens to the children of man and what happens to the beast is the same. As one dies, so does the other. They all have the same breath, and man has no advantage over the beast, for all is vanity. Then he says, all go to one place, all are from the dust, and to the dust they return. In other words, it's a dog-eat-dog world. You've heard that, right? And if we look at the animal kingdom, if we look at the beasts of the earth, that is their life cycle. That's the circle of life. Hunt or be hunted, right? And you do this for the purpose of survival. You do this because this is what you have to do. You're living in the now. You're living in the moment. And if you don't get your next feed in the moment, you may risk death. And we think that we're above that in the sense that, hey, we, don't, we are not like the animals, right? We have rules, we have laws, we care for one another. But most often than not, people are just like the beasts in the same way that it's a dog-eat-dog -dog world here with us as well, right? And that's, I think, the point that um, Solomon is, is making because beast survival and success is dependent on another animal's peril very often. And so for man, survival or success, let's say, is also dependent on another person's peril. How many people have you seen scammed? How many people have you seen robbed? How many people have you seen taken advantage of because someone else is trying to be successful? Because someone else is trying to advance in their interests. We are no different than the beasts, is what Solomon is saying. And what's the result of that? Regardless of what you're chasing, regardless of that next feed that you're trying to have, you're gonna die. That's the end. Under the sun, we're all gonna meet the same end, and that is death. We're all gonna be stopped by that because that's the wage of our sin. And so I think this, this, um, this analogy of animals is actually quite interesting and it's good. 
And, and I think that um, we have a lot to learn from this because even if we consider this, okay, we're similar to animals, but we shouldn't be really because animals don't have a concept of right or wrong. And we do. So why do we behave this way? We have an idea of that which is right and what's wrong. We have dignity of life, don't we? We should. Then why do we behave? Like animals at least have that excuse. They have no idea of right or wrong. They don't live by laws per se that are written. They just live on survival instincts. Do you guys remember that movie Finding Dory? Or not Finding Dory, Finding Nemo? Finding Nemo. There's this scene where uh, Marlin and Dory are uh, taken about by a big shark. In fact, I think I have an image of that. Do you guys remember these guys? That's Bruce, right? And they're terrified at the fact that they are in the midst, in the presence of these predators. These are apex predators according to the ocean, right? And here they are and they're afraid. Come to find out Marlin and Dory were invited to a club, to a meeting. It wasn't what they, they thought it was going to be. You see, these are good sharks, aren't they? These sharks open up their meeting and they say a pledge. And I don't know if you remember the pledge, but they say, I am a nice shark, not a mindless eating machine. If I am to change this image, I must first, first change myself. Fish are friends, not food. Right? And so Marlon and Dory are relieved. Okay, we're not today's breakfast, we're not today's lunch, except there's one of the, the sharks there that says, there's always an exception to the rule, right? And he says, except stinking dolphins. Right? Fish are friends, but not fools. Except except stinking dolphins. There's always an exception. There's always that one that it's okay to, to perpetrate. There's always that one it's okay to, to, to oppress. You know what I mean? There's always an exception because there's hate, there's sin, there's evil in our hearts. Okay. Then Bruce points out to the fact that their meeting was actually their fifth step into their process of becoming or changing their image as, as apex predators. And step five is bring a fish friend is what he says. And well, if you remember the movie, there was one particular shark who couldn't even help himself and he ate his fish friend. Do you remember? I think that's the next scene right there. He was supposed to bring a fish friend and he couldn't even help himself. He couldn't even resist the natural urge, right? And I just think this is a good example of what, what it's like sometimes, you know? We think that we're above that. We think that we're beyond that. And we think, yeah, animals are crazy. They're beasts. They're ruthless and they're uncontrollable. But too often than not, we also behave in that way, but in our own human way, right? And we think that we're beyond animals. We are beyond the beasts. And Solomon's saying, no, we're like them. Under the sun, when we have no moral compass, when we have no rule of right or wrong, and where does that come from? The Lord. It is He who, prov who provides insight on what is right and what is wrong, what is good and what is evil. If you remove that from the Lord, there is no standard of right and wrong. There is no moral compass. Nothing is necessarily an abomination. Nothing really has dignity because everything is just dust. Everything is just an accident or stardust, if you would, because morality, value of life, dignity of life comes from the Lord. <clears throat> and I hate to be the bearer of bad news, guys, and I hate to break this to you, but sharks don't do that. They don't have clubs or meetings about being better. They don't care. 
They just don't care. They will go after what they have to go. They don't have moral sensibilities. And we shouldn't be like the animals. We should care because God has given us value. God has made us in his image. We are different. But under the sun, not knowing that, there is no difference. We are just like the animals. Now, Solomon then continues with two big questions. And the first one is this in verse 21. Who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward and the spirit of beasts goes down into the earth? And the second question in verse 22, he says, who can bring him to see what will be after him? Or you can say, who can enable him to see what will happen after he dies? And I think this is a rhetorical question as Solomon is asking, and the obvious answer is no one knows what happens. Now remember, this is the perspective of life under the sun. Life under the sun says nothing about the afterlife, let's say. It says nothing about what happens after we, we, we pass. Life under the sun is just meaningless in that regard. And we'll talk in the future how death is meaningless without Jesus, you know? And so the question here is in regards to who knows what will happen after we die? No one knows. I guarantee you this, animals aren't thinking about what's going to happen to their little fish friends if they die. They're not thinking that. They're not even thinking about what's going to happen to them. All they're thinking is the now. How can I stay alive now? Because after death, no one knows what will happen under the sun. Do you see that? We don't have control of that which comes after death, and that's all in God's hands. But that's the thing. Now we invoke God. Now we bring God into the picture. If we want meaning, if we want fulfillment, if we want purpose, if we want something more, we've read that eternity has been instilled in our hearts, right? We have to invoke of the Lord. We have to go to that which is transcendent. Under the sun, everything here is limited. It is meaningless. So, therefore, we ought to find joy in what the Lord has called us to. Otherwise, we are no different than the animals. We have to find joy in the fact that there is life and there's life abundant. There is purpose and it is abundant and it's meaningful. And we should rejoice in the Lord because he's good and because we're headed to a new creation. Did you know that that's a promise of the Lord? That one day we will enjoy a new creation. We will dwell in resurrected bodies surrounded by the Lord's beautiful, amazing creation. That's a promise that's ahead of us. Isn't that amazing? Now, I briefly want to look into chapter 4 now. Uh, and a little bit into chapter 5 as well, because just as justice is meaningless apart from God, so is the means to attain it. And the means to attain justice is through political systems. So here's the next section. Politics are meaningless under the sun as well. And that's because no one in our political offices can actually help or comfort those who are being treated unethically. Yes, they may have good intentions, Yes, they may be put in these positions uh, for, because they're noble in pursuit, but the reality is that no one, no one can ensure anybody's safety or prosperity. No one on this earth can because these things cannot be achieved by anyone in the natural world. It's just so beyond us. It cannot be achieved by political means. These things only come from the Lord. Look at chapter 4, verse 1. Solomon says, Again, I saw all the oppressions that are done under the sun, and behold the tears of the oppressed. And they had no one to comfort them. On the side of their oppressors there was power, and there was no one to comfort them. Doesn't that sound depressing? 
Now, the reason no one can comfort the oppressed is because, Solomon says, power is on the side of those who are the oppressors. You think about what he means here. Well, financial power gives you the ability to be over someone, to oppress someone, let's say. Social power, legal power, even the power of the media allows you to be over someone in a way that you can be oppressive. You name it. There's all these advantages, you know, in being powerful. So you can say that it's hopeless, that they can pretty much do whatever they want and get away with it because they're powerful in these regards. This is what Solomon is pointing to. People are elected with expectations to help, and those we elect end up being oppressive themselves. See the cycle? And see that everything is just meaningless under the sun? This is just the sinful nature. Power corrupts even well-intentioned people, and we know that, and that's why here in the United States we have term limits, because we know that. We know that if people stay in power too long, they, become, they can become corrupted. And even then, <laughs> we fail at this because we're human and because we function out of a sinful nature if we live simply under the sun. But the moment we invoke of the Lord Jesus Christ, that's the moment that our lives change. That's the moment that there's conviction. That's the moment where you no longer live to serve yourself, but you live with the purpose of serving others as Christ has served us. You no longer seek to enrich yourself and to pursue that love of self because you know that Christ loved you and he loved you sacrificially. That's what changes things. But besides the Lord, besides Jesus Christ, everything that we pursue is in vain. It's vanity. It's empty. It's heavy. It's like a vapor that's ungraspable. It's unattainable. It is meaningless. And that's what Solomon is saying. Now, again, the answer to these and I'm sad to say depressing, is, depressing issues, right? It's just the reality of the world here. Cannot be found under the sun. Without God, this is the reality. With, uh, without God, this is a world with no honor, no conviction, no hope. Solomon says now in chapter 5, I'd like to take you there, fast forward a little bit, verse 8 through 9. If you see a province, you, if you see in a province the oppression of the poor and the violation of justice, and righteousness do not be amazed at the matter for the high official is watched by higher and there are yet higher ones over them but this is gain for land in every way a king committed to cultivated fields now i'm going to say this this is a confusing passage but i believe that this is what it's saying don't be amazed that there's oppression and injustice in this world this is just part of the normal let's say life here under the sun the bureaucratic hierarchy makes oppression predictable you think about it, if there's someone over you, someone has the ability to be oppressive over you, right? And if there's someone higher over them, same thing and so on and so forth. So if there's a hierarchy, there's the potential for uh, oppression. And although the bureaucracy was put in place to safeguard, if you think that, safeguard checks and balances, and it is it's just almost in inevitable that they would serve and pursuit their own self-interest, which enables oppression by high officials, even up to the highest officials. The idea here is that government officials protect one another as well. You know, if you're in a club, you're going to do whatever you can to see that you all get away with something. This is the nature of man. This is corruption. And rooting up that corruption is impossible because we're all like beasts, is what Solomon is saying. This, my friends, cries out for a savior. Do you see that? 
with the systems and processes and structures that we have, this is meaningless. What's the point? This cries out for a savior. And I think that Solomon lived all of this, which is why he's saying this. You think about who he was. He was a king and he was a judge. He experienced all of these things. He's not just speaking this because he read a good book somewhere. He's speaking out of experience. He realizes, wow, there's just so much injustice here and there's nothing we can really do to change that around. We need a savior. We can't do it in our own strength. Here under the sun, it's just pointless. We need something bigger than that. We need Jesus Christ. And that, my friends, is the answer to these issues that we have. We have an innate longing for righteousness. We have an innate longing for someone who's noble and good and righteous to come and lead us. We're always looking for that person, right? We're always looking for someone, hey, who can lead us well? Who has that good heart? Who actually cares about us? Who actually loves us? Who actually it will put himself apart, aside from himself, you know, to serve others? That's what we're constantly looking for. You know, this is actually a good, good expression of the reality that we all are longing for Jesus. Because everyone that we hope to be a help or a savior falls short of that. But Jesus never does. In his kingdom, there is no oppression. In his kingdom, there is no inequality or injustice because he's perfect. We just talked about how he, or sang about how he's a good father. He is perfect in all of his ways. This is who we're really longing for. And so often, we just don't connect the pieces. We just don't consider the fact that it is Jesus that we need. Not governor so-and-so, not senator so-and-so, not president so-and-so. It is Jesus that we long for. You know, and, and the moment that those elected officials fall short, we just abandon ship and we look for the next one and we look for the next one and we look for the next one, not considering the, the fact and the, 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 the truth that Jesus is who we truly long for. Now, I want you to look around in this place really quick. Just look at each other's faces. You all look wonderful today, by the way. This right here, this is a glimpse of the kingdom of God. When we gather today, we get a little insight of what the kingdom of God is like. If you look around, you'll see here that we love one another. In fact, that's what we strive to do every day. When we walk in here, we greet one another because we care for one another. We love one another. We're interested in our welfare, right? We're interested in how we're doing. This is what the kingdom of God looks like. Here we show mercy to those who are hurting. Here we help one another. We lift each other up. Here we serve one another. You know, everything that you experience here, this was the result of someone's service to you. Someone came and they set up. Someone came and made the coffee and prepared everything and made it beautiful. Someone built this. You know what I mean? This is just a glimpse of the, uh, the kingdom of God where we're not looking to eat each other up but to build each other up. We're looking to serve one another. In the kingdom of God, there is hope. In the kingdom of God, there's purpose, there's fulfillment, and guess what? In the kingdom of God, we're no longer waiting for justice like we are in this American kingdom or any worldly kingdom. In the kingdom of God, we have already seen justice. Think about that, because God is amazing and God is good. God so loved the world 
that he gave his one and only son that whoever believed in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He's already dealt with the issue of sin. He's already uh, exercised judgment, uh, justice, excuse me. He paid justly the wages of sin. And this is good news, my friends. Check this out. God brought a final judgment already. He judged sin in his son's body on the cross. He dealt with the issue of sin. He didn't just dismiss it. He dealt with it because an attribute of the Lord is justice. He is a just God. And so that by repentance and faith, we would be declared righteous in God's sight. Thanks be to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Who took the injustice of the world on himself. And so we know what that means. That means that he knows what it's like to be oppressed and he knows what it's like to be inflicted with injustice. Look at Hebrews chapter four really quick. It says this in verse 15, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. See, Jesus Christ took on all of this this mess that we experience he experienced it himself and so he sympathizes with us he knows what it's like to hurt he knows what it's like to be dealt with unjustly he knows what it's like to see people be taken advantage of he knows that he understands that and yet he took that upon himself and dealt with that that we wouldn't how cool is that but there was still justice in fact what happened to Jesus was the greatest act of injustice ever. You know, so many people wonder, and you may wonder as well, why do bad things and evil things happen to good people? Have you ever wondered that? Well, here's the fact of the matter, friends. That's only ever happened once, and he volunteered. We think that we're so good, not realizing that we too are like the beasts. But Jesus Christ here, he's the greatest of all. He's perfect. He's so sincere in everything that he does, and he cannot fail us. He is exactly what we're needing, what we're wanting. Now, again, the greatest act of injustice in history was Jesus being murdered by evil men. Wow, and Jesus endured that injustice so that we could ultimately experience that salvation. And that he endured also so that injustice could be put to death as well. Because in the kingdom of God, there will be no suffering, there'll be no oppression, there'll be none of that. Now, let me say this in closing. Electing the right officials to pass the right laws will never deal with the real problem. But it is prudent of us to do our best to elect the right people. So I'm not saying, hey, forget about it. No, we still need to be prudent citizens. We still need to look after the interests of one another, according to the will of the Lord. And so everything that we do when we go in and we vote, we do it with the Lord in mind, we do it with one another in mind, with love in mind, with recognizing the Lord is in control ultimately because nothing that we do, no laws that we pass will ever deal with the real problem of man's heart. In fact, consider Israel. Israel was a nation under God, right? They, they, they lived and, and, and abided to the law of the Lord, and even the law couldn't change their hearts. They too needed a savior. See, the answer to this problem of injustice and the problem with politics is not in it in itself. It is in Christ Jesus. Only Jesus can change our hearts. Only Jesus can save us. 
Only his gospel can change things. That is why he came. And if we don't know him, we're missing out. If we don't know him, we can't experience that peace that, that only he provides. And so I encourage and I invite him. Will you get to know him? Will you dig in and see who he is? Will you surrender and submit to his lordship? Because he's far superior, far better than any king or president that ever, ever has walked in this earth, including Solomon. Even Solomon fell short of the glory of God. He recognizes and he sees this and he realizes that we need a savior. Friends, we need a savior and that is Jesus Christ. I'll close with Luke chapter 4, 17 through 19. It says this about Christ. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, Jesus. And he unrolled the scroll and he found the place where it was written. And he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has appointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This is why Jesus came to save us from this mess that we're in. Amen? So let's trust him. Let's submit to him. Let's worship him. Let's praise him. Let's have a heart full of gratitude and thanksgiving for he is good. And in him, there is full meaning, full purpose, and nothing, nothing is empty, but everything is fulfilled in him. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you, Father, for your word today. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the hope that is in it, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Father, for coming and for your salvation. For we do realize that without you, all of this is meaningless. But with you, Father, there's hope, there's a future, there's prosperity, there's reconciliation, there's restoration, there's salvation. And there's a future, Father, where we will be able to just see you face to face and live with you forever. Father, forgive us, Lord Jesus, for our trespasses, Lord Jesus. Help us be not self-serving, Father, but faithful to you in serving others. Help us look into the interests of others, Lord Jesus, that we would have mercy, that we would show compassion, that we would lift our brothers and sisters up, Lord, and not stomp on them. Help us be more like you each and every day. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.